welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show, training for men and answers for women. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Josh Trent. Josh is the founder of Wellness Force Media and host of the Wellness Force Radio Podcast. He has spent the past 17 years as a trainer, researcher, and facilitator discovering the physical and emotional intelligence for humans to thrive in our modern world. The Wellness Force movement in 2020 is to help end the mental health crisis and be a part of humanity coming together to heal both mental and physical health through breathwork, organic superfoods, and wellness intelligence. So Josh and I dive into a few different topics on this show today. We talk about modern men's work. Uh, we talk about a, a few different practices that you can integrate in terms of breath work. But really what we dive into is integrating your past, learning from past experiences, and how to make better decisions and choices for your future. This is a, a big challenge that a lot of people face is that they repeat patterns from the past or they are simply in opposition of things that have unfolded in the past, and that is creating their current and future circumstances. So Josh and I talk about how to break free from some of those challenges and start to create a future that's a little brighter, a little bit more aligned with who you know you're capable of being, uh, and, and start to chat about some of the options that are out there in, in our modern world when it comes to things like health and wellness, because there are so many, so many, so many options so we talk a little bit about where you can begin uh, where, wherever you are on this journey, whether you've been at it for years or whether you are just starting. Uh, quick reminder, before I bring Josh on, uh, Vienna and I have a couples workshop in New York City, a live one-day workshop on February 15th. We are going to be diving deep into building better communication within your relationship and working specifically in on deepening intimacy within your partnership. So... Uh, this workshop is going to give you tools, resources, and real-life practices to expand uh, your sexual intimacy with your partner and be able to create and rekindle that desire. Uh, just a few other notes. If you haven't checked out the Men's Weekend in March, we're almost full. Uh, so if you've been thinking about coming, then definitely sign up soon because that one's going to be full soon. And the Men's Weekend for June uh, in upstate New York is officially live. So if you are waiting and have been waiting for the American dates on the East Coast, I recommend you head on over to uh, mantalks.com or cotterbeaton.com and sign up ASAP because we have a waiting list for that one. Uh, it's going to sell out quickly. So that's it for right now for the housekeeping. Uh, and without further delay, I would like to welcome Mr. Josh Trent. Connor, thank you for having me. Such such a pleasure to have you here, brother. And uh, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. So we're we're gonna we're gonna dive straight in to the burning question, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Yeah, defining moment number one uh, is pulling back when I was twenty one years old, actually, and I was drinking at a party, and I was very overweight. I was almost two hundred eighty pounds. And I had been drinking, and there's a big story behind this, but I got to this point where what I was doing with my life, my health, my career, uh, everything just wasn't working. And I had this lightning bolt that came through. I was drinking out of a red party cup, you know, where you play beer pong back in the day. <laughs> and, yep. I, and I just felt this first time I had actually felt the presence of a higher power ever. 
And I had a lot of, of anger against God for a long time. But in this moment, um, there was just something that hit my chest. I put the cup down. I just surrendered for a moment and I just felt this message come through and it said, there's more to life than this. There's more to life than this. And uh, I ran home drunk for three miles, 21 years old, drunk, running home. I turned on the computer. It's like 2001, 2000, late 2001. And I think I typed in like, how do I be healthy? And that mm -hmm. was the turning point for me of not being a victim to my own mind, not being a victim to past life circumstances, not being a victim to generational pain. And there's a long story after that, but that was a huge turning point for me where it's the first time I ever felt the presence of something greater. And that presence directed me to, to run home drunk and type in a big question for me. And that is, how do I be healthy? How do I live my life well? And that turned mm -hmm. into me going to Hawaii and finding myself and spending time with myself and really understanding like, who is Josh Trent? <laughs> what's this soul mm -hmm. in a meat suit? Like, what's he doing here? And that led to many other things, including me being here with you today. I love it, man. I love it. And I, you know, I think the, I, I'm so curious, like when you went home, <laughs> like what the first was result was on your, on the search engine of like, how do you be healthy? You know, it's like <laughs> right. probably some, probably some ad for like men's health, you're getting targeted. Um, but I'm curious, you know, when you did start that journey, what were some of the first steps that you took and, and what were some of the things that were surprising to you as you entered into that space? Cause you're, you're, yeah. I mean, you're deep in the thick of that now. I mean, this is what you do for a living now. So I'm curious right. about where, where you started and what, what surprised you. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning I was a victim just like everyone else. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to count my calories. I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to eat 1500 calories a day. I'm going to work out incessantly until I feel like I'm going to pass out. And so that was my journey for the first 18 months was like trial by fire, you know, like gaining weight, then losing 80 pounds, then gaining 40 back. And then just understanding like, this is a broken system. Like this doesn't work for me. And so mm -hmm. that led me to become so frustrated that I sold everything I owned. You know, I, I sold my truck. I sold my possessions. I just said, this isn't working and I don't know what is going to work, but I know it's not this. And I moved to Hawaii and I spent six months in the southeast corner of Oahu, just like finding out who this guy is that's breathing. And mm. that led me to find fitness. I was working out in a club at a 24-hour fitness and a manager came out to me and he's like, hey, you're getting good results. Have you ever thought about being a trainer? And I was like, what's a trainer? <laughs> you know, I had no idea what personal <laughs> training was. And so that was my first entryway into wellness, which is what everyone wants in wellness is just fitness. You know, fitness is like the gateway. And then that's where people start to have a reckoning with the fact that they gained the weight in the first place, you know, and, and that's not something the fitness industry focuses on, but that was my entryway. And it came from that moment, you know, when I was 21 slamming the party cup down. Yeah. So, so interesting, man. I mean, I love how, you know, people come into this, into this journey and into this space where, you know, their, their life puts them on the path. You, you mentioned something interesting before around you know generational pain generational trauma and and what it looks like to sort of end that uh, or or at least start to address that i would love for you to just say a little bit a little bit more about that and maybe like without yeah. you know whatever you feel comfortable with because i think that that's something that a lot of people maybe can relate to yeah and i know one thing that i love about you and and man talks in general is that you create the space for people to talk about things that are somewhat deemed taboo by old society in other words like what's the definition of of a new man of a real conscious man and so every single piece of my past has brought me to this moment with you so they deserve 
time. They deserve airtime. And, and all these things in the past that people don't want to talk about, it's like the less we talk about the darkness, the, the less we can actually have light, the less we can have space to really show joy and be love and, and connect with other people. So for me, there was this generational pain that's existed and that I've been aware of, and that is sadness and depression. You know, like when I look back at my mom, my dad, uh, grandparents on both sides, even probably their, my great, great grandparents, life was challenging and it produced chemical responses in our body and in the brain three generations back. And when I really tune into it, I've had medicine ceremonies and breath work where I've connected to my grandparents and my father and my mother. And the real key that circles around everyone has been depression and sadness and depression and sadness, in my opinion, and in my experience, is a choice. It is a choice. Like, it's not about faking it till you make it either. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't be sad. I'm not saying that we can't feel our emotions. But I am saying that depression and sadness and just mood in general is something that we can control with our conscious thought. And for me, when I look at my mom's life specifically, um, she was diagnosed manic bipolar when I was very young. I have memories of her being carried out of the house on a stretcher when I was like nine years old. So that imprinted me very heavily. Like, you know, can I trust her? Can I trust women in general? Can I trust life itself? Why is there suffering in the world? Hey, God, why do you allow this to happen? And that turned into me being angry at God and angry at life itself. And that led to my weight gain and to the disease and addictions and everything else. So looking back, it's, it's pretty easy to see that the thoughts and the feelings that I have aren't always mine. And I don't know if we can cuss on your show. Let me know. But they're not always, <laughs> they're not, okay, they're not always fucking ours. These thoughts, yeah. and these feelings that we have are not fucking ours. And the reason is, is because I think that's part of this process of life is we figure out who we are, remembering who we are. And in the meantime, we're also kind of living out the stories and, and the past imprintings of our ancestors, right? And this science proves this. If you look at studies from the University of Michigan, if you also look at Mark Wolin's work, um, you look at Bessel van der Kolk, everybody's saying the same thing with different language. And that is, we are connected energetically, spiritually, even now physically through telomeres and epigenetics to our ancestors. And so for me, it was, how do we overcome this looming dark cloud of depression and sadness. And that was just by telling the truth until it stops hurting. I think one of the other pieces that really stood out for me about what you were saying before is like this simple concept of getting to a point in your life where you see all the things that aren't working, you know, and you're like, all of these things aren't working. This isn't working. This relationship isn't working. The way I'm communicating here isn't working. Yep. And it can be so frustrating when people are are in that place in their life where they sort of feel stuck or they're lacking clarity. And, you know, it's, it was interesting because it sounds like you sort of see all those things and sort of had this mentality of, okay, I know that these things aren't working. And so my, my first action is to sort of stop doing those things. What yeah. was, what was that, what was that process like? Because sometimes the hardest thing, the hardest first step for us to take is, is in the letting go of the things that we know aren't serving us. Yeah. Hell yeah. Because who am I without the thing, right? Mm -hmm. where, where do I go to with like Linus had his blanket for a reason, right? If you guys follow like Snoopy and the characters, <laughs> like we all have a Linus blanket. Uh, for some people, it's food. For some people, it's uh, alcohol or, or porn or marijuana or shopping or um, even complaining. You know, people that complain all the time, 
It's like that can be just as addictive as taking a puff on a cigarette because every time they complain, they get to be right. They get to feel the jolt of emotion. Like, yeah, see, life isn't working out for me. So I think really when I look at this, like what's the first thing I let go of? I let go of my environment. I let go of my surroundings in San Diego and I said, okay, well, if, if, I, if I know this isn't working here, um, I'm going to go to a place that's feminine, that's cooling, you know, like Hawaii, and I'm going to be around ocean and palm trees. And I'm going to let go of my friend's circle where I was drinking, my friend's circle where I was partying, um, my friend's circle where they were talking about how life never supports them. And, and this victim mentality. So that's the first thing, Connor is like, okay, if I don't know what to do and I don't know where I should go, why don't I just go towards the first thing that feels good? You know, and that, and that's the, that's where I went is I changed my environment. Now, wherever we go, there we are. <laughs> so I took all my stories and all my stuff with me, but I was able to unpack them in a new place to where then I could really see without the outside influence of friends and family because you know they love us our friends and family love us but they're not always in service of our highest good you know they're, they're not always like making us the best person we could be because they're attached to the old version of us you know i'll always be like little joshy to my mom i'll always be like uh jojo to my dad my brother and my and family and friends they see me in a certain way it takes a real exponential growth-minded person to constantly accept the new version of me and so that was the first thing that I let go of, man, was that environment. And, and that in itself is an act of courage for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's powerful, you know, and, and I think sometimes that's just the first step is like, what piece of your environment do you need to let go of? Because, you know, a lot of the research as you were talking about before that has come out of the last few decades really points to our environment being this huge contributing factor to our development and to our habits and our behaviors. And so, you know, sometimes it is in the changing of the environment that we start to change our behavior. Uh, I'd like to, I'd actually just like to back up, you know, to what you'd mentioned before growing up in that household, um, you know, where there was mental illness present. And I think, you know, it's something that so many people experience and maybe not enough talk about, you know, yeah. and um, grow, you know, growing up in a household where there's an alcoholic or an addict or someone really suffering or struggling with some form of mental illness. So, you know, our, I would love for you to shed a little bit of light into what that experience was like for you to grow up in that space. You know, I, I'm imagining wanting to support someone and identifying it, um, but maybe just shed a little bit of light on it for the listeners. Yeah. The really, if you look at what the core of mental health where it's broken and where and where the disease comes from is it does come from past life stuff that's kind of where we're uploaded into this matrix here and we have a story already it's not ours but we're learning how to let go of it and also too there's the physical aspect there's the food that we eat there's the conversations that we have there's the people that we spend time with so in that environment the majority of my childhood memories either go between extreme highs and extreme lows right? So like one minute, everything would be fine. The next minute, it would be total meltdown. And so I learned at a really early age to constantly check in and be like, okay, how do I make my environment safe? How do I make this moment safe? How do I make the next moment safe? And that was like a really hard thing to ask a young man to do, you know? And so looking back and like having compassion for that little boy, it's like, he's going to be with me forever. So how do I bring him in? How do I hold him and, and how does the man in my life now lead us both forward? And that's mm -hmm. the big thing that when I look back on there, 
that was the biggest challenge. You know, that was the biggest hurdle is like, how does a nine-year-old kid learn to parent himself and parent his parent? Like, how is that even possible? You know? And so that's, that's really what we look at with mental health is what are the foods that we're eating, that we're eating? What are the conversations that we're having? And what are the types of things that we're spending our attention on? And, and I say spending our attention because like attention is currency, you know? So that core element, and I hope I answered your question properly, but that core element of just recognizing and giving compassion to this young boy, that's the number one thing that I can do now in retrospect and look back. And that's a constant life work. Like I don't have this thing wired, dude. <laughs> I still find myself in loops. I still find myself like operating from that, but it gets better over time. You know, and now I'm even, I'm in an amazing partnership now where we talk about it. You know, it's like, hey, I'm in pattern right now. Or, hey, the kid's leading, but but the man is aware, you know. And so it's like having real conversations with somebody who's conscious enough to hold that space and have them. I mean, that's fucking powerful. Like, that's what the new world is about. It's about that kind of journey where you walk side by side in that way. Mm, so good. So good. And, I, you know, I think part of the part of the challenge that I see with a lot of guys and a lot of women as well, you know, regardless of, of gender or sexual orientation or whatever it might be, is that. It, it's, and I'm, I'm curious if this happened to you, but it's a lot of the times when we grow up in those environments that, you know, we're less than optimal from our perspective, you know, maybe there was abuse or abandonment or rejection, or, you know, there's some form of capital T trauma or little T trauma that mm. is in that space. And we can often look at it and say, well, it wasn't as bad as Johnny's or it wasn't as bad as Jenny's. And, you know, she had it or he had it way worse. So this person over here has it way worse. And it allows us to sort of diminish and, and move away from the, you know, the, the, the reality of how we need to heal. And I'm yeah. curious how you sort of face that part of, because I've noticed it's a very natural thing for all of us to do for a period of time where we want to reject that we didn't have it as bad as someone else. <sighs> I'm curious if that came up so in, in your journey. And, and if so, how you actually face that, that part. Connor, you just hit like the existential question on the head because that, <laughs> I mean, that is such a powerful question, dude. Think about how many people legitimize and make small their trauma. I mean, we live in a society that placates trauma, especially for men. Suck it up, pussy. Get back out there. Be a man. Don't cry. Don't show your emotions. Um, be strong. Don't be weak. I mean, for so many decades... Um, I saw this with my father and with definitely with my grandfather, men could only kind of show two emotions, right? It was like, you could show anger and frustration, or you could show like power and force. And that was it. You, you got to go, you got to go those two ways, but any other way and you were weak, but we don't live in that world anymore. And the world that we live in now, and, and this, I loved how you said it, capital T trauma, lower T, love this analogy because no matter who we are, we have all been through trauma. I don't care if it was not being held enough or it was being beaten. I don't care if it was you're, you were sexually abused or you weren't supported. Your dreams weren't supported. They're all equally as, as deleterious to our mental health. They are all equally degrading to our soul. And they are all depressive modalities for our psyche to not fully experience and express itself. And so when I look at the major traumas, and I combine them with the stacking possibly of, let's say, three to five lower T traumas. If you put them on a scale, 
they're going to equal out. Like not everybody that's been sexually abused or physically abused um, is going to have a certain kind of life depending on the work that they do to heal that child. In the same regard, if you if we placate and if we push down like, oh, my childhood wasn't that bad. My parents did the best they could, whatever. You just, you know, I forgive, but not actually going in there, reaching into the bottom of the ocean and pulling out the shit and actually then viscerally forgiving and let it go. It's very, it's very um, challenging because the ego is a subtle little foe sometimes, right? The ego is going to be like, ah, childhood wasn't that bad. Mom and dad did the best they could. And just kind of like, you know, make small of the things that deeply hurt that young man or that young woman. And that's where the real work exists now. And I know that's what you talk about. And honestly, like for me, it's been just this constant letting go of, okay, let me, let me see what's coming up now. Let me swallow it. Let me digest it. Let me do everything I possibly can to make peace with it. And then let me let it go. And you know what? If I haven't let it go and I haven't made peace with it, it's going to come back around. <laughs> it's going to show its head again. And, and so this, this is my work. This is all of our work. And this is like the new conscious man's work is to meet that with an open heart and meet that with also strength. You know, there is something to be said about not saturating and bathing ourselves in a pain body. But then there's also like, okay, be honest with yourself and intuitively guide yourself to go and do the work to let it go as well. Yeah, love it, man. And I, I think just for the listeners reference out there in case no one has ever heard that term before, the capital T trauma versus the little T trauma. The capital T trauma is the what we normally consider to be quote unquote trauma, what the, what the sort of average person is going to look at and say, that's definitely traumatic. That's a traumatic event. Something like uh, being sexually abused as a kid or experiencing some form of physical abuse uh, or very overt uh, verbal abuse, yeah. um, maybe some form of like very severe abandonment. So those those are things that like, we you know, from the outside, we're like, oh, that's very clearly going to create some sort of a repercussion, some form of like very deep wounding. The little T trauma is is actually quite a bit more prominent. And this is the interesting thing is that not a lot of people really dive into this one, but it's the one that's usually causing a lot of sabotage. And it's the part that's like usually in the shadow. So little t traumas are the ones where, you know, maybe you had a very overly critical parent that yeah. over time was constantly just like nitpicking in this really harsh, demeaning uh, sort of a condescending way, contemptuous way. And, and over time, that sort of eroded your uh, you know, your confidence or your self-worth, et cetera. So that's just one example. But that little T trauma can be verbal, it can be sexual, it can be physical, it can be emotional, um, but it's an important distinction between the two. And, you know, Josh, I think one of the interesting things about what you're saying there is a lot of this sort of ties back into the modern day man and, and you know, masculinity in 2020 and, you know, some of the work that that men need to do. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could just touch a little bit more on that and, and why you see this as, as being sort of like the time and the place uh, within our culture for that to happen, but also what, what that work actually is and what that work has looked like for you. <laughs> I'm smiling because you and I both know this and, and most people already know this on some kind of a energetic level, even if it's subtle. And that is, if you look around and you feel around right now in 2020, we're all being shook to the ground. Everyone, every system, every way of being, man versus woman, woman versus man, Democrat, Republican, pro-life, pro-choice, none of this shit actually matters. What we're really talking about is can we honor and our unique differences and can we love them and 
can we also in tandem realize that we're all the same? And that right Mm -hmm. there is the bedrock that everyone is either standing on or scared to touch because men are, are fundamentally different in certain ways. Women are fundamentally different in certain ways. And I think the pendulum right now has swung so hard because of how women were treated for so long. I mean, let's face it, women were owned like property. They couldn't vote. It was terrible. I think we all feel the pain body of that still. And I think the reason why Me Too came through and why we're seeing so many women take positions of power is because the pendulum that swung so hard to the patriarchy on the other side has now essentially swung way hard to the other side. And so we have men that are being demasculated, that are being talked down to in public, um, that are being belittled while other people are around them. We have men that are not being strong. I know you've, you've interviewed Elliot Hulse and he talked about uh, weak-minded men. There is something that we're all feeling right now, and that is how do we honor our unique differences from a place of love, and how do we also acknowledge that we're all the same? And, and I think that's mm-hmm. the construct that that modern masculinity is being built from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a very interesting time to to have all this work come forward. I'm curious for you, you know, as as someone that's gone through some of these pieces, what what have you seen, or what's been the most important pieces along your path in terms of the healing that you needed to do, and you know, some of the some of like the lessons that you need to learn along the way. Yeah, the the first thing is that uh, women are not my mother. Mm. So let's let that land for a moment for every man. You, women are not your mother. Your mother is your mother. But not women are women. Every woman is a unique soul. So honoring that thing is a life's work uh, because things do get imprinted at a very early age. And so our work as a man is to explore what's true and what's not. And so it really takes it really takes a warrior, like a warrior heart, you know, and a warrior mind. But also too, Connor, like it takes the heart of a child as well, because you asked, what have I done? Like, what are the things that I've really gone through? Going into plant medicine ceremonies, doing Vipassanas, doing float tanks, um, doing a crucible, like a Mark Divine seal fit, you know, physically pushing yourself to see what emotionally will come out. Like those are all essentially tools of the hero's journey. They're all thresholds of growth that in order to go through them, a part of you has got to die. <laughs> like mm-hmm. an old part of you is going to let, is going to be killed and you have to be willing to let it die. I mean, that's, you know, when we're all struggling and I'll speak to this myself, when I'm struggling with something, it's because I'm trying to hold on to it with dear life. I'm, I'm trying to like squeeze the life out of it and white knuckle it. And so specifically when it came to selfishness, I think for a long time in my life, I was really selfish, you know, all throughout my twenties, it was like, how much fun could I have? How many women could I sleep with? How many things could I benefit from? What could I do to get what I wanted? It was like me, 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 me. And so when I really started to take a look at like 33 years old, you know, I started to do yoga and I had this one time in yoga where I was like feeling kind of emotional. I didn't know why. At 34, I went to my very first sound healing ceremony after I had gotten fired from a job that wasn't of service. And I started crying. And I was like, why am I crying? Like, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't, my emotional intelligence at that time wasn't really online uh, in the way that it is now and in the way that I continue to want it to be. And so what started to come up was just the acknowledgement of, of how I had treated people, you know, the acknowledgement of, whoa, this feels really shameful. <laughs> this feels really gross. Like I, I did all those things. Like, you know, I, I've, I've seen so many things with my eyes where I've hurt other people. And it took a long time for me to let go and honestly vomit out the shame 
of what that really was to then see, oh, little dude inside was running the show. Little man was running the show. And there was this fight between the, the adult and the boy. And it's really only been in the last 18 months that the boy and the man have come online together. But it was through the tools of being still, going actually to allow myself to go 10 days in the desert and just be with myself and see what came up, doing breathwork ceremonies, doing plant medicine ceremonies, and also the conversations that I would hold in men's groups. You know, I've, I've done men's work um, from, from 2014 all the way to 2019. And it was based on the work of David Data and uh, Johnny Blackburn was our leader in Encinitas. That was also a powerful tool. I would say men's work and really having conversations around what it means to be a man and how to be a man of integrity and how to make sure that like what's coming out of your mouth and what you're doing in your life is the same. I, that was a foreign concept to me. <laughs> you know, like I, I grew up mm -hmm. in an environment where nobody really, nobody really checked on each other to tell the truth. Like I, I can specifically remember like um, my father never really talking about anything that involved emotion, but there would be like a playboy on the table. Right. So it was like, okay, well, you can look at this magazine if you want, but I'm not going to talk to you about it. So you, you can figure it out mm -hmm. yourself. <laughs> so, so I guess for me, like now the edge of exploration is how do I take all the things I've learned, all these different programs and tools and journeys and ceremonies and, and just everything. And how do I look back on that younger version with compassion? And how do I just be with anything else that comes up like that? That is the work, man. That is the ultimate work. Um, and I will say it does get better, but I don't think it ever goes away. You know, I think that's I think that's part of life. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. It's definitely, a, a, you know, an ongoing work. I love the idea of, you know, being someone who is living their word, you know, that I think if I could distill down really like the juice or like the 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 lesson out of what you just said, it's like, how do you be a man who lives his word, who lives into what he has said? And that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that a lot of men face. And I think the interesting part is that there's a direct correlation to if you are a man who's giving his word to something. So a guy who's saying, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be there at 7 p.m. and then shows up at 720 or, exactly. you know, I want to, you know, ask that woman out and then, you know, doesn't do it. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you the report by 5 p.m. today and, you know, it doesn't show up for another two days. So just the act of being your word is such a challenging undertaking. And yet the, the further away we get from it, the more we often feel like we are missing something, you know, or that we're out of integrity or that we're failing yeah. in some way. And it's like, it's almost as if our unconscious mind is keeping track of everything we say and then trying to hold us accountable to that. And so I think the, the great part of what you're saying and what I kind of hear you implying is that doing men's work has helped you live your word more powerfully and, and bring an alignment to uh, bring a, bring a deeper sense of alignment to, I do what I say. And I only try and say the things that I know I'm going to follow through on. Is that roughly accurate? <laughs> oh, yeah. I like the juice extraction. Um, it, it's true because God, what, what is the definition of community, right? We're having commune. We're in unity. We're united together. Um, we've been coming together in circles as men and as women for millennia. Like that's just part of our human condition. Yet in the past 50 years or so with the advent of technology and, and the information age, there's a quote perceived connection online where people feel kind of connected online, but they can hide behind their keyboard and, and take time to write whatever mm -hmm. they want. 
You know, we're living in a highlight reel right now of everyone's life. And then subconsciously, without knowing it, people are comparing their lives to what they see on social media. So it's like we have young teenage girls that are spending 45 minutes taking one Instagram photo and then writing below the photo some inspirational quote that has nothing to yeah. do with the photo. <laughs> we all know what's going. It's, it's so crazy. We all know what's going on. It's like and I fall I fall prey to it as well, where I'm like, I'll find myself scrolling on Instagram or I'm scrolling on Facebook. I'm like, why am I even doing this? It's because I, I'm not aware in moments that I'm being hijacked. Mm -hmm. You know, here with you and I in this conscious container, I can talk about it. But but this has to be something that continues to to come up where we get offline and and we actually connect with one another in person. That's why men's work and, and, and women's work as well, like being in groups, talking about with a, talking about what's really going on in our lives, it produces accountability in a way that's not possible when yeah. it's just you. Yeah, I I agree entirely, and I think you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting space because as men's work becomes more and more prominent within you know mainstream culture, and a lot of guys starting to explore what that looks like, what it actually means, the different types of men's work out there. I think the the interesting part that I've noticed is that there's all these sort of um, I guess maybe they're externally perceived as like fringe forms of personal development, you know, things like holotropic breath work or using the breath uh, to actually create some sort of transformation or development or growth or awareness, things like plant-based medicine. And I'm curious for you, like as you've gone through this journey, because you've kind of run the gamut, right? You've you've looked at food, you've looked at fitness, uh, you've, you know, dove into breath work and uh, you know, psychedelics. What what has that journey been like for you in terms of what you found to be really important? Like, where do you feel like most men should start? And what are some of the staples of this development that we're talking about? The biggest thing is what I just did. And that is take a breath in and let it go. Like, that's the number one. Because if if we're being a slave to our physiology and we're being hijacked by the mind, immediately we're going to shift over to sympathetic nervous system. Our breath is going to be short and shallow. Our cortisol is going to raise, and then we're going to re we're going to react to people in our lives with tension and with constriction instead of expansion and love. But expansion and love can only happen if we're breathing properly, because there's an honoring of the beast and there's an honoring of the spirit. You know, we're half beast, half spirit. So the very first thing that we can do, and it's interesting because as I, as I share this, I want you to check in with your, your awareness and just notice, just be aware that your mind is going to tell you what I'm about to tell you is too simple, that it won't work and that it's too simple. Just be aware of that. Taking six deep breaths has not only been scientifically shown to shift you out of fight or flight, but it's also something that we don't need a report card to tell us. Taking six full deep belly breaths before we respond to someone, before we do something, it allows us to actually come from a place of who we are in that current moment, right? Whatever work we've done to that point. So that's the number one tool I would say for most men is before you share, before you do anything, before you react or snap, and this is like a life's work, by the way, uh, take some deep breaths. If you can't do six, do three. And I promise you, if you do that, if you do that and you just take maybe 21 days where you focus on taking six deep breaths before you respond, notice how I said respond instead of react, that's going to be a massive lens 
for you that you really haven't looked out of before because the awareness hasn't been there and the application hasn't been there. So that's that's the number one, man. And of course, you know, we have our Breathe Stress Reduction Breathwork Program that's coming in February. And so there's a lot of other intricate tools there and combinations of breath patterns and cyclical breathing. But just doing that, I mean, that's free. We can all do it. And you'll notice that great speakers do this as well. You know, if, if you watch any of the great TEDx presentations or even, even some politicians, they've had breath coaches. They've mastered the art of breathing in slowly through their nose, breathing out slowly through their mouth as they speak. So that's the number one for, for all men is take some deep breaths before you respond. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing, right? Because it's sometimes the simplest form of action that we can take that produces the greatest result. And, you know, what you, what you said before is like, if you can't take six, take three. And I, I, I would almost say to people <laughs> right. like, and if you can take three breaths, you can probably take six. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like, take six. I think, you know, I <laughs> yeah. think one of the biggest, yeah. one of the biggest challenges that I see a lot of men falling into is just, just sheer complacency, sheer complacency, you know, like in a really unhealthy relationship with discipline. And I think that that's been passed down mm -hmm generationally like we were talking about generational trauma before and generational healing yeah. i mean yeah. some of our fathers had fucked up relationships to discipline you know like really fucked up relationships to discipline and and it was unhealthy yeah. you know it was obsessive or it was manic or you know that it's the it's their relationship to discipline that produced the trauma in our life because you know something went wrong and they lost their shit or whatever and some some of the fathers that are out there that maybe we had they uh, they lacked discipline altogether. And so, you know, we're, we are now adults, adult men walking through the world without any real understanding of what true discipline looks like and, and how it can be a positive force in our life. And so I would just love for you to touch on this idea of discipline and how you personally, like what's been your battle with discipline? What's been your relationship to discipline and how has it evolved over the years? Ooh, what an awesome question. I mean, we can go like six different <laughs> ways on this one, whether whether it's food or breathwork practice or meditation or movement or yoga, or um, how do I show up in my relationship with myself? How do I show up in my relationship with my partner? How do I show up in my relationships with my friends? Like all of these things require discipline. I don't care who you are. You know, discipline is freedom. We, we know that decision fatigue is a real thing. You know, whether it's Brennan Bouchard or any of the neuroscientists out there, we understand that we get about 150 really high tension decisions every day. So if I'm wasting my decision making power on should I do something? Should I not do something? Should I do the thing? Should I should I do the call that I said I was going to do or should I not do it? All of those things require decisions, right? And so the more decisions that I make that are out of alignment with the promises that I've kept to myself, the further tired I feel the more depressed I get, the worse my quality of life is. And so my evolution with discipline really stemmed from not having a proper relationship with food. And then that's my relationship with most other things, right? So when I wasn't eating well, I didn't feel good, which then made me not want to move. And when I didn't move, I would do things like play video games, watch porn and do things that didn't mm -hmm. serve. So it's all a vicious cycle, my friends. And you guys can relate to this. Like, <laughs> like one thing can be such a powerful spoke of the wheel that the wheel won't spin true anymore with it out of place. Yeah. So I would say the number one thing is what are the foods that I'm eating? Like that is the number one. And I do my very best. And my very best means like that I accept when I'm not perfect. 
But my very best means that you better believe I'm focused on it. You better believe that I'm like making quality decisions with what, what I put in my mouth. The, the next discipline curve has been around me just allowing myself to be still throughout the day, right? Whether it's meditating or breath work or just even five minutes, like it makes a massive difference being in nature, things like that. And then the other big one, really, the discipline has been around keeping accountable to my calendar, keeping accountable to my, to my schedule. I think there's a really big confusion out there where some people think if I'm on a calendar, then that means that I'm pinned down. If I have to schedule my life, then that means that like I'm a slave. And it's actually the opposite. Like if you don't have your free time on your calendar, if you don't have your appointments on your calendar, what do you think, my friends? You think you're going to remember all this shit? <laughs> you think you're going to remember all the appointments that you have, all the promises that you've made to your partner, your family, your friends, yourself? Like if it's not in the calendar, then we're not meeting the demands of the modern day world. The modern day world is way different than the world that we uh, were designed for. And so we're not going to be a victim to it. We're going to adapt just like all human beings have done. We're going to adapt and we're going to thrive. So those three things, man, are the big ones for me. And they still are, right? Like I, I, I don't, I, I remember I was at High Impact Academy with Brendan Burchard and he was like, some days I want to lay on the couch. <laughs> and this is like the master of productivity. You know, I, I don't think that the feeling of I don't want to do the thing ever goes away. I do think that not making a decision because we've already promised and committed to doing it. I think that's the thing that gets easier. Yeah, so good, man. I mean, I, I think what came to my mind there and something that I usually tell clients is, uh, you know, part of healing our relationship discipline is being able to figure out how we find freedom within our commitments. And I think that that is part of the aim of what a lot of men are trying to do is like, they usually feel pinned down by their commitments or weighed down by it, or, you know, it feels like it's restricting their freedom in some way. So it's like, well, how do you how do you find freedom within those commitments? And how do you see those as something that's beneficial or something that's going to give you more discipline, not in the sense that discipline is a punishment, like so many, uh, so many men and women have grown up with, right? And like a lot of people, right? You must be right. disciplined. Discipline has such a negative connotation. Yeah, yeah exactly. But <laughs> but shifting it, right? Shifting it, shifting our our definition of discipline away from being something that is a punishment and towards something that is is instead a practice and it's something that we're practicing every day and and that we're trying to get better at, you know. And I think that's that's part of the aim is to not wish for perfection when it comes to being disciplined. So I, I'm curious for you. I just want to I want to take. Yeah take it back a little bit because you mentioned like your relationship with food and it sounds like that has been a really big uh, catalyst and you know struggle and something that you have overcome can you give the listeners just a little bit more context what you meant by you know not having the healthiest relationship with food and how you started to move through that yeah i mean i can remember being young and not knowing how to deal with feelings and just being like wow i feel really sad or i feel really angry or i'm feeling fill in the blank and so I started to figure out that when I'd like eat cereal or when I'd go get a burrito or when I'd eat certain like really carb heavy foods, you know, really pleasure foods, it would kind of quell all those feelings that I didn't know how to deal with. And so that's a pretty early memory. And it, even in Italian culture too, like I'm half Sicilian. And so in that culture, like food is love, food is connection. If you didn't clear your plate, you're being disrespectful. And so... I think speaking of how things are imprinted in childhood, when I looked at food for the first 20 years of my life, 
I looked at food as something where I could go to retreat. You know, food became like this solace where I could go eat the thing if I didn't want to deal with the thing. And so that's why in my life now, I'm like, well, before I do anything, I'm going to deal with the thing. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out, I'm going to feel what's going on with me, what's going on with my environment, what's going on with um, my relationship, what's going on with my work. I want to feel it all now. And, you know, that, that also, that relationship with food, it bled into my relationship with porn. You know, porn is a massive distraction for men. And I would even say it's just as, as serious of an epidemic as food, if not more, because it's very subtle, the way that porn can creep its way into a man's life. Uh, porn and food, they actually are very base human needs. You know, we're here on the planet to reproduce and we're here on the planet to eat. So those are things that our reptilian brain is wired to go to all the time. And we all can relate to this, right? Like everybody gets horny, everybody wants to fuck. And there is this element where once we learn how to make love, how to use sex from a place of love, how to harness that loving power of it, the whole thing changes. But it doesn't change unless we want it to change. And in the same way, when we eat food, our relationship to food doesn't change unless we want it to change. And I'll, I'll just say that typically, not all the time, but typically, the only time that we want it to change is when we've experienced enough pain of it not mm. changing. You know, and that was my story. Like, I, I became so overweight that I literally just had a breakdown moment where I ran home drunk and, and just was seeking health. And with porn, you know, porn became like this 25-year just incredibly draining addiction where whenever I didn't want to feel something, now that I had like done a better job of mastering my, my relationship with food, then porn almost replaced it in a way. And actually, I would say that it, that it rolled tandem for a while. You know, it was like I had, a, I had two tools that I could choose. Okay, if I didn't want to feel something, I could eat something or I could watch porn. And I would say that if most men check inside, that's the story for a lot of us. You know, because the demands of our modern world and being a man that wants to lead life with his heart and with his power, uh, it can be pretty stressful. <laughs> you know, it can be pretty overwhelming mm -hmm. at times. And so these tools, you know, these, these tools that we have like, like breath and like conscious communication, being in, in men's work and understanding why are the feelings there in the first place? Are those feelings actually mine? And how can I turn to those feelings and get something from them that they want, which is really just being seen, being heard, and being understood? That's the way that transformation and really that, that relationships improve. And I, I really do believe that, that right now we're at this nexus of um, mental health, food, and uh, pornography all needing equal spotlight, like equal spotlight. And that's why I love the series that you did um, on Man Talks about it as well. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Well, we, we're going to have to start to wrap up here because we are almost out of time and I want to respect, respect your time. Um, and, and, you know, just give you an opportunity to sort of share with the listeners a little bit around the power of breath work, because I think that's something that's come up over and over and over again. And, you know, I have experienced it. I, I teach it at the men's weekend and I just would love for you to just touch on the importance of breath work specifically or, or potentially plant-based medicine uh, and why it's so important for people to explore some of these pieces. Yeah. Thank you, man. Because I love that you said explore because <laughs> it's a lifelong exploration. Like none of these things that I'll mention are you're, you're ever going to get hundred percent mastery on what you are going to get is you're going to get continued improvement. But when I look at really what's below why people would do breath work, it's because they desire confidence and freedom. 
you know, everything that you and I have discussed in this show today, it's like, we want to not be a slave to our own mind. We want to feel free. We want to have confidence in who we are and trust ourselves. We want to be us. So breath is a gateway to this and anybody can breathe. I mean, this is why we have the breathe program. This is a stress reduction breathwork program. It's 21 days. It's extremely close, hands-on. You're guided through the entire process because this breath is a tool to unlock who we really are. This breath is a way for us to keep those promises to ourselves, for us to really condition and to refine how we're showing up every single day. And so what I could say in a sentence is if someone is desiring more confidence in who they are, more freedom in the way that they have their schedule planned, and they're actually disciplined because they know that discipline is freedom. You can't get there if you're holding your breath. <laughs> if you're not breathing properly, if you're holding your breath, that will sabotage you every single time. That will allow you to go down the route of should I or shouldn't I, and you'll be in decision fatigue all day long. So this is the number one tool is, is go to your breath. And this 21 days, if you look at the research, it could be between 21 or 66. I promise you, though, if you do something for three weeks and you really put your heart and soul into it, you will feel a visceral shift. Mm -hmm. You will feel all the great ancestors and the masters that have created programs around healing. They all start with their breathing. I don't care if it's Dan Engel from Revive Centers and Healing Brain Trauma. I don't care if it's PTSD. If you look at any program that's about behavior change, they all start with the breath. So it's like there's something that we all understand to be true here, and that is this is a lever that, that we can pull to adjust how we feel, how we think, and how we show up every single day. So do the breath work. Make sure that you go to the Wellness Force website. We have a free tool for you as well. I'd love to give to your audience. It's wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And in that is a week-long challenge. If you're interested in more breathing, we also have the Breathe Stress Reduction Wellness Program. That's over at breathwork.io. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. And if people are interested in learning just a little bit more about you and the work that you're doing, uh, can you just give them uh, a little bit more about where they should head and, and, and where they can learn more? Yeah. If, if you like some of the things I said, go to wellnessforce.com, listen to the podcast. Uh, if you didn't like some of the things I said, good. <laughs> that means that they brought up, that means they brought up something in you. Um, go to wellnessforce.com. You can write us a message. You can go to wellnessforce all over social media. But I really think like, honestly, Connor, the best place for anyone to start is wellnessforce.com forward slash M21 from like 300 shows and, and having amazing conversations like this one with you. I just took a big inventory and I was like, what are the six things that all the great contemporaries and ancients are saying? And I put them together in a guide and, and a big part of that is breathing. So that's the best place to start for anyone. And that's the best place um, to learn about me, you know, to learn about what Wellness Force is and what we stand for. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. And I would love to have you back on to do a deep dive, maybe into plant medicine and breath work, uh, you know, because there's some some good connection there and crossover. Uh, so maybe we'll have to do uh, a... <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do like a specific deep dive into those areas in the near future. But thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for everyone that's out there, definitely head on over and check out Josh's work. Uh, check out some of the stuff he's doing. We'll have the link in the bio for you to go and learn more about Wellness Force. Uh, and don't forget to leave us a rating and review. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to whatever platform you're listening to us on, iTunes, Spotify, et cetera. Leave us a rating and review and share this episode with just one fr friend, family member, or person that you work with. Man it forward uh, if you enjoyed this episode and you know someone that will love it, benefit from it, and want to dive into it. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Mm -hmm.